Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. My name is Vivian Dudrow. I'm an editor with Ignatius Press, and I have the great pleasure and honor to interview this evening Dr. Rick Fitzgibbons, who has authored a book with Ignatius Press called Habits of a Healthy Marriage. And we thought that given that right now during uh, the COVID quarantining and now the distress in the streets of some of our cities, people are at home, their families are together, maybe more intensely than ever before. And so we thought this would be a good time to talk about how to bring peace into your marriages and your families with an expert, Dr. Fitzgibbons. So thank you for joining us. Well, Vivian, thank you for inviting me here. And I can't begin this show without thanking you for the outstanding work, work you did as the editor of my book. So oh, it was really- Immensely for your help with that book. Well, you're welcome. It was my pleasure and I learned a lot. And I'm oh, hoping cool. that, yeah, I'm hoping that this evening, some of the people listening in can also learn uh, because you are you very knowledgeable on the subject of marriage. So just off the bat, what advice do you have for families right now uh, going through a time of great stress and uncertainty? Okay. Right now, we need to address three, in particular, strong emotional passions within people. One, the first and foremost, is fear. People are afraid. We're all afraid of things. We're afraid of financial realities, we're afraid of the economy. The economy. We're afraid of health issues, and so we need to learn. We need to fight against fear by trusting more, by creating an atmosphere of trust in the home. So, so in front of our children, in front of our spouses, we don't want to talk about COVID too much. A little bit, pray about it, but trusting and thinking about every day. I want to trust my spouse every day. I want to trust God every day. I want to trust in my family because severe stress can dampen our basic ability to trust, especially in a marriage. If you've had severe stress in your childhood and teenage years, alcoholic parents, divorce, trauma in your childhood, this COVID pressure can give one a sense of being controlled and what has not been healed in childhood and adolescence can emerge when people can overreact. So there may be a need at times to think about forgiving for childhood hurts, family of origin hurts, or thinking even I'm powerless over any fears I may have brought into my marriage, and I want to turn them over to God. The second issue is anger. It is extremely important that we not express anger in our homes at this time. Well, how do you do that? That seems impossible, Doc. What are you talking about? Well, here's yeah. what I'm talking about. The Lord told Peter, the apostle with the hottest temper, whom I love very much. My middle name is Peter. I identify with him less now than I used to when I was younger, but my temper was a little bit worse. But forgive, he told, the Lord told Peter, forgive seven times seventy. So in the family life now, with a quarantine, it's extremely helpful to our marriages and our children not to express anger. We do that by thinking about forgiving and trying not to speak until our anger subsides significantly or turn our anger over to God. Okay? And the third thing is the tendency to control. We want to work hard not to control, try to control our spouses, our children. Now, the reality is, at this particular time, we can feel like things are out of control. But of course, mm -hmm. we, know, 
we, spiritually we know that's not the case. That the Lord is in control, and we, we don't understand He's allowed this to happen, and we just got to trust that we can work through it. So in marriage now, in family life, if a person gives in to anger, if they give in to tendency to be controlling, if they give in to selfishness, it's important to gently correct, honey, let's try to like work on these things and not overreact emotionally. So is that old fashioned rule of counting to 10? <laughs> Better than counting to 10. I, I, I try to say, forgive, 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 forgive. When you say that inwardly, mm. your anger level tends to diminish or if it doesn't diminish, then it can be helpful to think, well, Lord, you forgive or help me. For some people, what happens under this stress, they can repeat a weakness of a parent. The last chapter of our book was on that. And so it's important sometimes under this stress to think, Lord, help me not repeat my parents' anger. Or many people, the financial fears, the fears my father had or my mother had financially, help me not repeat them, help me trust in the financial area more than people trusted in my family background. Because under this stress, which is extremely severe, various types of unresolved issues can emerge in our lives that we're not even aware of. Right. Now, what you just outlined for us, by the way, this is Dr. Rick Fitzgibbons, author of Habits of a Healthy Marriage, published by Ignatius Press. And doctor, what you just outlined in those three points, not six, three, um, is kind of how you approach the subject matter in your book. You're right. Each chapter, you talk about uh, the importance of understanding the hurts that maybe we've brought into our marriages and the role that they could be playing in our behaviors, maybe even unconsciously. And so would you like to talk a little bit about what's different about your book uh, from other marriage yeah. books? So what's different is, is First, the focus on the importance of resolving anger with every marital conflict. That in every marital conflict, there is a degree of anger. So when I trained in psychiatry, cognitive behavioral therapy research at Penn a long, long time ago, and I was impressed in this research study we were doing, the people who had major unresolved anger with their fathers. Okay? And then I got, became involved in the charismatic renewal here in Philadelphia, and I learned more about forgiveness there. And I thought, ah, this is a way in which this anger these people have can really diminish. So my professional life began with a focus on anger, and I wrote the first paper in the mental health field on how to use forgiveness in psychotherapy, and that expanded to a relationship with Dr. Bob Enright at the University of Wisconsin. And now we have several textbooks on forgiveness. So my work began first in the area of dealing with the passion of anger recognizing it is so important to try to control that passion and to control it to treat depressive illness, to, to treat anxiety disorders, to treat marital conflicts. So my professional life began first with that virtue for the passion of anger. And then when I saw, wait a minute, there are many other factors that play a role in anger that require other virtues. Forgiveness is a great virtue. But so then I saw, you know, like in the culture today, in particular, selfishness. I mean, I, like many, many mental, most mental health professionals, Vivian, was trained to think that anger comes out of life hurts. Anger comes out of some trauma. But it took me a long time to recognize, wait a minute, in a culture like this, many of my days, the most common source of anger I treat is not from trauma. It is from selfishness. And so 
this then became another area. So gradually more and more things opened up. The selfishness, we began to see that as playing a major role. Then the tendency to control. So, I mean, so many marriages that were, I was working with, people felt like separating or even divorcing Catholics because they couldn't stand the pre control pressure they were under. And then fourthly, the most perhaps the most common complaint we hear in marriages from wives is, my husband is emotionally distant. He's not as giving to the marital friendship. He's not as giving to marital communication. He's not as giving to, say, their total oneness. We completely surrender yourself and you think, you think we, you don't think just me. So I began to see that these, oh, there, there were a number of weaknesses that were really harming marital love. And then for me, reading John Paul II, you know, because quite honestly, when I finished training, my, my training in psychiatry, and I came out to practice, I thought the first several years, Vivian, I felt like I was an army medic on a battlefield. I mm. felt overwhelmed. I thought there's been this explosion, explosion of narcissism, abandonment of vows, the sacrament of marriage, the priesthood. Like, oh my God, this is this is this is really unbelievable, you know. And then shortly thereafter, my, I finished my training. Saint John, John Paul II was chosen by the Holy Spirit to lead the Church, and so his writings from role of the Christian family in the modern world, which I think should be every, in every Catholic home, and love and responsibility in particularly uh, helped me. Uh, it was a difficult time for me to absorb the key points of love and responsibility, um, but an abbreviated version of it online by a Philadelphia priest, a uh, simple approach to love and responsibility, really helped me. So his writings, taking his writings and applying that to my work in marriage, you know, taking a certain literary license with his, from his writings, for example, in every couple from his writings, we look at marital marital affection. What's the, what's the romantic love like? Secondly, what's the marital friendship like? Based on shared vision, five positive comments for each negative comment, good friendship, and thirdly, oneness in marriage, meaning sexual intimacy, but more than sexual intimacy, the total surrender of yourself as I said earlier, the movement to think we, not me. So this growth in looking at psychological conflicts in marriages and looking at virtues excited me because I could see how when you apply the virtues to these passions, the traditional way to deal with a healthy person out, right? I mean, before the young mental health field ever was created and caused some turmoil and some help too, but some turmoil, certainly, and the focus on developing healthy personality had to do with looking at your character flaws, growing in virtues and growing in graces. So in this journey, I came to see that some people have such deeply rooted problems from their childhood or adolescence that the role of virtues, while important, were simply not enough. They were not enough. When one needed in the Catholic Church, we have grace through the sacraments. And I came to see then the great benefit of grace you know, in controlling a bad temper, the sacrament of reconciliation, in fighting the enormous power of selfishness, this incredible force of selfishness that has so severely harmed marriages and so severely harmed priesthood and religious life also. So right. the, you know, bringing, bringing the sacraments to bear on these passions, uh, what I thought was very helpful. And so that's what's very unique about this book. Mm -hmm. that in every 
conflict and marriage that describe in this book, there is the presence of excessive anger. And that's where my agent helped me understand that this book, I didn't quite see what the Lord was saying to me. It was to be a handbook, not a read through, a handbook, all right? So if you have a communication right. problem, you have a communication problem, go to that chapter. If you have a problem, you're thinking of divorcing, whoa, wait a minute, go to that chapter, read about the truth about divorce and the reality right. and the reality that, that most marital conflicts can be healed. I have to mention this one fact, Linda Wade at the University of Chicago did a tremendous research on marriage. And in one of her studies, she cited that in marriages, in 80% of marriages, where one couple was seeking divorce, the other couple reported to be happily married. So where where is the problem here? Right. Divorces can be healed. Yes. Well, that's uh, that's one of the hopeful things about your book is its assurance that healing is possible through this sort of integrated approach, because on one hand, you've got the uh, psychology and the understanding of of the um, subconscious and things like that and family background. And then on the other hand, you've got the the virtue development to to help us continue to grow in character in order to improve our relationships. And then you've got the sacramental dimension so that it's not just a kind of Pelagian, you know, we'll just try harder, you know, no. but that but that God is 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 uh is 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 there to help us uh that he wants us to grow. He gives us the grace we need to grow if we but ask him um and the sacramental life is really powerful way to do that. And you somehow managed to bring all these things together into one book. And I think that is what makes it makes it unique. So back to the um, question of when you are experiencing these passions and impulses uh, that that for many of us have become habits already by the time we're married, right? If you have a quick temper or whatever, these are already sort of ingrained habits and for a while there wasn't the psychological advice kind of well to be an authentic person you have to you know express your emotions release your emotions and um you know you help me to understand that that doesn't actually help us learn how to control our emotional life does it it doesn't help us to have a healthy personality so if we look at what, the, what is Catholic marriage about? And Catholic marriage is about loving your spouse. It is about having children, having a family, about getting your spouse to heaven. It, it's, it's, a, it's a holy journey. It's a demanding journey, but it's a special journey. And it's, a, and it's a, not easy to overcome our passions. For example, let's look at men. The most common complaint we hear in marriage from wives is, I, I feel my husband is emotionally distant. That's the most common problem, maybe from wives. And the origin of that problem, many men don't do that deliberately. The origin of that problem for many men is that's how their father was. Their father's mm-hmm. love language was deeds. He worked hard. He was loyal, faithful to his family, different than many other men today who are not loyal, not faithful, given to selfishness. But modeling after a father who had difficulty saying, honey, I love you. Difficult time showing physical affection. Difficult time snuggling up. Honey, this, this is a really interesting book I'm reading. Let me share it with you. 
You know? So many men had difficulty in that background. So when I present this as a cons consideration for men to consider, the initial response to me is, mm, not too happy to hear that, Doc. You know? <laughs> so I often say, well, so look, I have to share this with you. Uh, I We all have, there was only one perfect family. Here's, that's that's the good news. There was only, so we don't have to be perfect. Only one perfect family. And so all of us have character weaknesses that we can have. But if we just think about being loyal, to, take that issue of a father who was emotionally distant. And many men have that. Many men in priesthood have that. And they repeat it. They don't know they're repeating it. So we present it to them to consider and to think, I want to repeat my father's good qualities, be loyal to my father's good qualities, but not loyal to his weaknesses. And a father wouldn't want a son to be loyal. So I want to show more affection. But modeling, Vivian, is so powerful. Mm -hmm. It took me to understand. That's hard to overcome without grace. Mm -hmm. then yes. Who, who is your, then who is your role model? Who is the role model as a man for showing warmth, affection, really trusting God, God the Father will provide for you? You don't have to have just two children. You can have four, five, six you trust him, he will provide for you, all right? So looking at one's father, thinking, Lord, help me be loyal to my father's good qualities, but then going to another father figure. For example, looking at other father figures who are generous, uh, going to St. Joseph for Catholic men, thinking, St. Joseph, help me be more giving and romantic love. Help me be a better com communicator than my father was. And many men can experience in doing that a breakthrough to overcome that weakness of being emotionally distant. So to me, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. It's a very, this to me is an extremely important area to work in men, because one of the chapters, we talk about the virtue of loyalty and the massive retreat from marriage because related to cohabitation. So this book is really, in my heart in writing this book, I, I feel that, that men, women can benefit this book from this book. In my view, men need it more. Oh, interesting. Because um, they've, lost, they've lost the sense of mission as a man, as a protector, as a father, as a husband. Tremendously fulfilling. They don't get it. A lot of them don't get it. They're like they're they're like you know they're like trapped by this pornography, marijuana. You know they they don't selfishness. They don't understand the beauty of marital love, which is why I think I was very happy in doing this book was that the Archbishop of Denver, Archbishop Samuel Aquila, wrote, uh, described Catholic marriage, which I thought was very important in this book. Yes, he wrote the foreword uh, to the book. And uh, well, as a woman, I'm perfectly happy to uh, blame men for everything. <laughs> um, you know, I do have to uh, admit that um, that the tug of selfishness certainly has affected women um, and that now we kind of have a tug of war going in and going on in a lot of marriages where um, uh, you know well since you're selfish I'm going to be selfish too I mean I think a lot of um, marriages just a few decades ago our parents and for example um, you know the woman um, tended, the wife tended to be a little bit more um, tolerant of, of her husband's um, ego and these kinds of things. And I think with the women's movement, 
um, there, there was this encouragement of, well, women, you should have to put up with that. You know, you should, he's selfish. You should be just as selfish. He's got his career. You should have your career. And now there's a kind of tug of war of who's going to get what who wants uh, in a lot of marriages. So um, how do you address that? How do you help couples um, not be afraid to be the first one to surrender? <laughs> now, this is very, very important, what you're saying here, Vivian. I'm, I've been happy the last two of the last four weeks to give conferences, premarital conferences in a diocese in New Jersey based on the book and warning the couples about exactly what you're saying. You know, we need to think, we need to think we, not me. You know, we're really on a mission. This is a, this is a wonderful mission. It's a demanding mission and it's an exciting mission. And we will totally harm the mission if we focus excessively upon ourselves. So we've got to look carefully about, you know, how we act and how we communicate so that we try to avoid this issue of always being assertive, like thinking I have the right to say whatever I feel. No, you don't. Babies do that. Mature adults don't say whatever they feel. They use their intellect to control their passions because the major goal in married life is to have a healthy personality. But from a Catholic perspective, pursuing a healthy personality, as you said, with virtues, with graces, leads you to become another Christ. So there is the mm. goal of Catholic marriage in terms of personality development, it's not to assert the self over the spouse, to assert the self over the children. No, is in fact to be another Christ to your spouse, to be another Christ to your children. And there, you're, if you're doing that, if you're working on that, you're going to fight against the passions you just described because mm -hmm. they're causing the problem of trusting in relationships is a huge problem today. Yes. How... What do you, you know, so many, as you point out in the book, by the way, we're interviewing here uh, Dr. Rick Fitzgibbons, author of Habits of a Healthy Marriage, uh, published by Ignatius Press. Uh, in the book, you talk a lot about the uh, harm that's been done now by divorce and young adults now being afraid of marriage, being afraid of commitment because uh, they're the children of divorce. Um, what hope do you give to these uh, young people who maybe, you know, desire love and stability in marriage, but are afraid? Oh, I have great hope that these wounds, these wounds don't have the last word. They don't have the last word, whether it's premarital divorce, whether it's premarital, you know, being used as a sexual object in a cohabiting relationship, whether it's premarital abortion whatever the wounds are that can severely damage uh, damage your trust, bullying, all these terrible things that are going on that, okay, we can recognize, I'm bringing, I'm saying, telling these couples in this diocese in New Jersey, recognize that we bring trust weaknesses into our marriage. But if we think every day, I want to trust my spouse. And, and I tell them, look, it's really hard if you've had this divorce trauma or other types of serious trauma before your marriage, it's very hard to maintain trust, but God can help you do that. Mm -hmm. He can do that. If you ask him every day, Lord, help me trust you with my marriage, number one. Number two, but that's the foundation. Help me trust you. Put the sacramental bond between husband and wife. And these many of these couples we're giving this to, they, I'm happy they're there, 
Many of them don't have, have been poorly formed you know, in the faith. They're just to tell them, look, there's another aid for marriage here that can protect your marriage from divorce. They don't want to get divorced. But mm -hmm. men have a vulnerability to it because of the deep betrayals and the weaknesses in trusting that they have and that so many of their friends have and their friends' parents have. So right. re rebuilding trust is one of the goals of this book, helping people realize, look, all right, so your trust was damaged. Your trust was hurting your marriage. But if you work at forgiving, then the, what happens is the anger diminishes, sadness diminishes, insecurity diminishes, and it's like you can get a hope that like Fulton Sheen would write in Three for Marriage that there can be a resurrection. You can move to a higher new level and that marriage has never been better because of working through your difficulties and challenges in married life. And and the key role of forgiveness in that, right? You mentioned that. Oh, vital. It is vital. So, so for those whose, whose trauma, who have anxiety, who have anxiety problems, we have an epidemic of anxiety problems, Vivian. I saw yesterday, or you know, in fact, I talked about, I did a relevant radio show today on anxiety and using psychiatric drugs in the culture. One out of six Americans takes medications basically mm -hmm. to reduce anxiety. One out of six. 80% of those are written by non-psychiatrists, which is all right because there's such a, a, a need for it. But unfortunately, they're taking the medication, but they're not doing enough. I mean, I tell my patients, all right, take the medication for anxiety. At the same time, meditate. Lord, help me trust you more and build my confidence and help me to forgive anyone who hurt my confidence such that I'm afraid. So in addition to medication, there's often a need for some deep healing uh, in people's oh, lives. Mm -hmm. so, now, and again, cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, everyone thinks, oh, we'll do CBT. CBT has benefits. One of the leaders in CBT wrote his endorsement, Aaron Beck at the University of Pennsylvania, where I trained, wrote the endorsement to our first book in anger. And he said, in his endorsement, he said some of the most refined CBT techniques are not effective in resolving deeply rooted bitterness and anxiety, deeply rooted bitterness, I'm sorry, in people's lives. So there, there are limitations in most systems of psychotherapy, many limitations in most. And along that line, one has to be, in terms of trusting, one has to be extremely careful whom one trusts with one's marriage, extremely careful. As we cite in the book, there's a big study in Florida, 600 couples, uh, those who went to marital therapy had two to three times more divorce than those who worked through their problems. And the, the researchers wrote the reason for this, in his view, was that most marital therapists focus more on on helping the spouse end the marriage than uncovering uncovering and addressing the emotional pain that people have. So the other audience for this book is mental health professionals, those who mm. work those who work with families because to help others you have to have no work on the demanding demanding work of you know, having a healthy personality right 24 7 it's not easy right it's demanding but, it, yes. but it's worth it it's totally worth it i mean what, what can be more fulfilling than being loyal to a wife and having children and you're very blessed with a, your first granddaughter you know i mean yes. just how it doesn't get better than that life that's right and what are we here for anyway i mean uh right. Right. that's kind of a, an important question 
to, to keep in the back of your mind when you're dealing with marital problems or any problems. Uh, well, yeah, I'm convinced one of the reasons for the explosion of psychiatric illness in the culture is because selfishness just turns you in upon mm -hmm. yourself. In the words of Benedict, it makes you a prisoner of yourself. He also wrote that when faith drops, selfishness rises and the heart grows cold. And that's what we see happening in marriages. People give in to it. Oh, I've got to just, I've had my children have grown up. Now I've got to really take care of myself. I've got to look out for number one, look out for me. I wasn't fulfilled enough in my marriage. No sense really of the meaning of following Christ, of being more Christ-like. You know, so I have to think about whether I really belong. I should stay in this marriage any longer. I don't, I don't feel fulfilled enough with my husband. Well, maybe the person doesn't feel fulfilled enough because they weren't giving enough. They weren't challenged to be more giving, contributing with their lives, but just for like, mm, burden, right. and sadness, the boredom of being right. turned inward. So now uh, to go full circle uh, from where we started, I opened the questions with, uh, you know, this situation that we're in with with COVID and quarantines and now civil unrest and people are together at home with their spouses and children maybe more than ever before and yeah. feeling a lot of fear and uncertainty uh and so uh what are your parting words to couples right now struggling uh to to keep the right perspective and to take the right steps to uh strengthen their marriage at this time rather than have it become weaker. Well, I'd like to share something we're doing in our family, maybe helpful, which is after lunch every day, a quarantine hug. Oh. Physical affection, warmth, affection diminishes anxiety, helps oh. us feel safer. We need to feel safer. And so physical affection, warmth in the family, being more loving to one another can help us feel safer. Okay? And then trying to be, St. Paul writes, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So trying to communicate, even though we're afraid, even though we're worried about what's happening, the riots, everything, but trying to trust God that will get us through this and begging his mercy. I think the chaplet of divine mercy is extremely important for Catholic families at this time because we are in very stormy waters. We are in extremely stormy waters. Yes. And, and so I think trusting more, I think trusting, forgiving, you know, loving, um, and hopefully we'll be able to go back to receive the sacraments, which will make it easier to cope with this severe stress that we are under. Well, thank you very much for that good advice. And thank you for, again for your wonderful book, Habits of a Healthy Marriage. And may it continue to do much good in all the work that you do to serve marriages. May that continue to produce much fruit. Thank you so much. for all. Thank you. you. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley. And on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.